Hello, I'm excited you found your way here. I'm your host, Ashley Rennick, and you're listening to Waldorfy. In each episode, I explore and explain Waldorf education and its anthroposophical roots. Hello, everybody, and as always, thank you so much for listening in. In this episode, I'm speaking all about reverence and ritual. This is one of my favorite topics, actually, having to do with the Waldorf approach. I thought of actually giving reverence and ritual their separate, their own separate episodes, but the two things are just so tied together. I figured it fit actually better to put them together. I think reverence also ties in with wonder, which we've also already talked about this season. And yes, just so many things really tie in and intersect with this concept. So I'm really excited to be speaking about these two topics today in this episode. I, of course, have to thank all of the wonderful Waldorfy Patreon supporters. What's Patreon? You may be wondering. Patreon is a platform where you can support creators like myself with a small monthly contribution. The Waldorfy podcast has always been a free, accessible resource for all but free doesn't pay the bills. Believe it or not, the cost of just one nice coffee or latte a month really goes a long way to help me to keep creating the show. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a supporter, please visit patreon.com forward slash Waldorfy and Patreon is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. I also have to thank our fantastic Waldorfy podcast partner, Sparkle Stories. Sparkle Stories offers over 1,400 original audio stories for children ages three and up. You can find a playlist of audio stories for young children that accompany this week's episode, plus sign up for an extended 30-day free trial by using the coupon code Waldorfy at sparklestories.com forward slash Waldorfy. I just love Sparkle Stories and all they offer, and you'll get to hear me speak a little bit more about that later in this episode. So reverence and ritual. First, I'll speak to reverence. I really love the way that this episode came together because I got to speak with Chinyu Kuntz as my expert guest. Um, as you know, many of you know of the We Nurture podcast. Chinyu has years and years of experience in uh, the Waldorf early childhood classroom setting. And she really got to speak to her experience and her knowledge uh, that she has come to understand uh, through that lens as the teacher. And to kind of be a little contrasting to that, uh, my experience uh, was being a little kid growing up, uh, experiencing the Waldorf approach to education in the classroom and, you know, what my parents chose to approach at home. So in this, uh, as it's been with each episode in this season, I'm going to be speaking firstly to kind of what I've experienced uh, with these concepts. And then, of course, after I speak with Chinyu Lu, you'll get to hear me speak more about how I approach these concepts in my home with my young children. So this, I have to say, is one of my favorite things to speak about or explore within the Waldorf approach, this this concept of reverence. However, I have found that it's actually the most difficult piece in talking about everything within the Waldorf approach or coming to understand the Waldorf approach. It's one of the most difficult things to really articulate clearly what we mean when we talk about reverence in the context of the Waldorf approach. So the way that I experienced it, we never heard the word reverence as young children in the Waldorf approach. We only experienced just that, Uh, whether it was coming together in a circle, which we did for whatever Uh, different reasons throughout all the grades, forming a circle together or uh, singing a song or I'm just trying to think of another, um, saying a blessing over a snack or a meal. There are so many moments just within the classroom setting. And I don't even mean Chinyu Lu, of course, her experiences in the Waldorf early childhood classroom, the experiences I'm speaking to now or even in the grades. So uh, once the young child is kind of coming out of that total wonder, like dreamy bubble and into the grades, there's also this space for creating this sense of reverence and why um, I think it's just fascinating. So the way that I experienced it, it just really created this incredible sense of awe, which we have spoken about uh, already in this season. But I think it's just so tied here to reverence. Reverence is also tied in my mind to respect. uh, And certainly in the ways that we learn to engage with each other, in the ways that we learned uh, from our teachers to engage with uh, the environment, uh, the natural world around us 
in our classroom setting, you know, are things that we uh, used as part of our educational process, pencils, papers. There was this you know, reverence around, uh, and you can tie that here with respect around how we treat each other, how we treat these things, how we treat the world, how we interact with the world that was constant through every class, through every subject. I'm thinking of an example, my earliest memories of doing watercolor painting, which I now have carried um, through with my young son, uh, just the setting up of the paper when you do watercolor painting, you have to soak the paper. The paper has to be prepared for you to use it with the watercolor paints. And then the, even the paints have to be prepared. When we were really little, the teacher did all that work and we kind of come in from break and everything would be set up for us. Um, and then still there'd be like a lighting of a candle and a story or a blessing that would guide us in the, into the activity, which felt like, I'll be honest, as a young child, um, I'm getting like emotional even just thinking about it now, like one of the more reverent experiences of my life. I mean, um, you know, the way that my teacher guided us as a group, can you imagine a bunch of seven-year-olds, six and seven-year-olds into enjoying exploring color and that the way it is with water on paper and having it be this almost otherworldly connective experience. It's so beautiful. And it's funny because I really, until I sat down to record this episode, I'd really never reflected on just how profound that experience and some others really were for me. And I know that not every, I was very much in the feeling realm um, in my grade school years and not every student connects with these things in the same way. My husband, uh, <laughs> I think is one of those. I'm sure he would not get emotional speaking about um, his first experiences with watercolor painting. But uh, yeah, it's just this incredible, profound respect and awe and wonder for the things that we do together, the way that we're participating in this uh, approach to education that we're all experiencing together, both I think from the teacher's perspective and the student's experience. Uh, you know, we're drawn in as students as we experience through the modeling and the way that the Waldorf teacher or maybe even homeschooling parent is bringing these concepts uh, to the children. And not everything within the Waldorf approach has to have this seriousness uh, through the reverence. Uh, I, and Chinyalu will speak to that later as well. I think when we think of reverence and beauty and wonder and ah, there's also this kind of seriousness to the lens of that. And that's not all of the Waldorf approach. There was also so much fun and laughter and enjoyment as well, uh, whether that enjoyment was through reverence and awe or through a silly story. Uh, you're, you're one, I think the aim for, uh, for us as students was to go through all of these different kind of, a little of all of our feeling life, all of our kind of emotions and experiencing um, the education, the different art forms that we got to, you know, participate in through our unique approach to being educated at a Waldorf school. Another experience that comes to mind uh, through the grades for me is singing. Really, it's just incredible. I have to say, I did have a class. Some some of the classes within our school, everybody would sing. I think some classes, singing was a big deal and all the kids were pretty into it. And depending on the teacher, I know um, my sister's class, her teacher was really into playing guitar and just loved singing. So often, you know, my class teacher in the later half of my grade school experience was, was really into theater and play. So oftentimes, what the teacher kind of is most passionate about, the students wind up being kind of most into and most passionate uh, about in their experience, I think, as well. But yeah, singing for me was was just huge. And it was such a huge part of getting, of learning and a part of our experience, whether it was singing a little song, doing times tables in the early years, all the way up to learning about uh, experiences um, of historical figures in seventh and eighth grade and, you know, the hardships that people experienced throughout human history and songs from those periods of time. Uh, and, that, how the songs would really make me think and reflect and 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 live a little into whatever that that was that would you know kind of touch me in in a deep way and our class was more into the singing and I'll never forget I have an I have a memory of singing for one of the last times that we ever sung together as a group again this is almost making me emotional thinking about it now because it's such a touching and and beautiful experience 
uh, as a group, we sang together all these years together. And, you know, of course, there are some kids that came and some kids that went, but the core, you know, more or less 20, we graduated our eighth grade class with, I think, 26 or 27, but there were around 20 of us that pretty much were there all the eight years. And we sang together every almost every day probably every day of school all of those years and just one of the last experiences i just remember thinking oh my gosh like i may never sing with this group again it was really it was really interesting and it's also interesting to me how through the waldorf approach and all the kids are singing through all the grades how especially for prepubescent pubescent uh young people to be uh, wanting to sing together and just, you know, in whatever way that they're able to participate in that, just kind of doing it because that's what we do. Um, and that's what I found is so interesting about many of the subjects that we explore, whether it was handwork or woodwork. Um, it wasn't like, oh, now I'm a, you know, 13 year old boy and I'm like too cool for this. I never saw that or experienced it. We, these were all just things that we did together all the time. Um, and I think that bringing them through a kind of rev in a reverent way from a young age kind of created also this respect for whatever the the modality of art i guess which which we explored our education through uh, whatever that was going on we always kind of had this core respect for that uh, at the end of the day so there was um, whether you were passionate about it or not uh, was one thing, but everybody kind of always participated. And I, I feel a respectful um, way, even if not really, really <laughs> reverent. Maybe some of the uh, young people in my class were not so reverent in their uh, work, whether that be sewing or knitting. I'm thinking even myself, I love handwork now, but I know <laughs> my handwork teacher from the eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade years would say all Ashley did was talk. She didn't do very much work. Um, so yeah, and I know a lot of uh, Waldorf alum come back to some of these things that they um, had done as young people uh, in the Waldorf classroom and don't do until again, they're 30 or 40. And now, oh, wow, now I want to go back to sewing or I want to come back to knitting. Um, I've become hugely into knitting since the start of the pandemic and having my second baby and just being home all the time. I um, I've become super interested and passionate um, about knitting and complex knitting patterns <laughs> has been uh, of huge interest to me recently. So yeah, I think it's it's just so interesting how the this little seed of uh, the reverent the reverence uh, being brought from the teacher, how that kind of expands, uh, not just even through early childhood and the grades years, but as I mentioned, a lot of students coming back to some of these things. Um, through, through all of our lives. And I think that's really, really something. Ritual. So ritual is so tied in. I think ritual for me in my grade school classroom experience um, was kind of, was the actual seed of the reverence that was being explored and planted in these different activities. Uh, I'm thinking of starting watercolor painting, especially in the earlier years, would always start uh, with a candle being lit and then something being said, whether it was a story guiding us into it or maybe a little verse. In the earlier years, uh, I think maybe just first and second grade, I don't think third, uh, our teacher, we wouldn't be speaking during snack and lunch. And I think it's because our teacher, we, so many of us would come home with like full lunch boxes because we'd be like chatting and wanting to get out to play that it was kind of this encouragement for us to eat uh, our food, which was really a good idea, I think, on the teacher's on the teacher's end. And there would be a candle lit and a blessing at the beginning of our meals. Looking back, there definitely uh, was, I'm sure, like language with, uh, you know, the Lord or God as part of these blessings might have been in there. Um, that has, I have no memory of that. Um, but I think that, that that probably was part of some of the blessings, especially when I'm now a parent looking back and, and learning more about the approach and reading blessings in books. A lot of these blessings or verses uh, to introduce reverence to, whether it's a blessing to a meal or something else, may have those words in them. I find many, not all Waldorf schools, especially uh, charter public options, have really shifted that language out to use words like I use now in my home with my young children, universe, or um, 
other words of wholeness or oneness that are uh, not as exclusive uh, for some as God or Lord may be. Uh, so and the other piece I think is interesting, and I asked Chin Yulu about this when I spoke with her, is how um, if you are a family who is practicing a particular religion, how if you're using the Waldorf approach in any way, you can use uh, your own practices as part of this as part of the reverence, your own rituals create the reverence in your home naturally. Um, and I'm thinking of some beautiful uh, social media accounts I will link to on the show notes page for this episode. Um, a Muslim family who uses uh, reverence in such a beautiful way. I'm thinking of a friend I have who is a practicing Catholic who uses reverence in such such a beautiful way. And yeah, I'll share those accounts on the show notes page for this episode. Have you been looking for something specially crafted to entertain and enrich your child's developing mind? Wouldn't it be amazing if this content promoted values like kindness, empathy, and respect to help build a gentler world? Would you love a break but feel a little guilty about turning the TV on? then you're going to be pretty excited to learn about Sparkle Stories. With Sparkle Stories, your family can enjoy a world of 1,400 plus original audio stories for ages three and up. Sparkle Stories is dedicated to helping the world go a little slower and be a little kinder. Their audio-only approach invites children to adventure, wonder, and dream in a safe and secure way. Audio stories are a low-pressure way to make even the shyest of readers hungry for more adventure and learning. My older son is three and a half, and I love that I can search for stories based on his age or story topic. For him, I love that stories are recorded slowly for young ears, ensuring maximum comprehension and enjoyment. It's been such a nice way to build a quiet rest time into our active days. I've also gifted Sparkle Stories to my six-year-old niece twice now, and I know she enjoys the longer tales and ongoing series. My favorite thing about Sparkle Stories? It is such a great alternative to the TV. Their audio-only stories spur children to use their imaginations and grow their curiosity compared to image-based entertainment like TV. Especially having our new little one in the house, I love using Sparkle Stories to keep my three-year-old's mind engaged and having fun while I get things done. I've teamed up with Sparkle Stories to offer an extended 30-day free trial so you can enjoy the entire library of Sparkle Stories, over 1,400 original audio stories for ages three and up, and you can trust me, you will enjoy. To check out a list of the Sparkle Stories our family enjoys most and additional playlists of stories to accompany each episode throughout the seventh season, I know, so cool, you can check out sparklestories.com forward slash Waldorfy. To get access to your 30-day free trial of Sparkle Stories just for Waldorfy listeners, just visit sparklestories.com forward slash sign up and use code Waldorfy at checkout. And that code is good through the end of 2022. I just love Sparkle Story's selection of gentle stories for growing minds. So I am so looking forward to sharing more with how I use these concepts in my home with my young children. But now I'm going to be speaking with, again, one of my most favorite guests ever, Chinya Lu Kuntz. Thank you so much for joining me again, Chinya Lu, on the show. Thank you for having me, Ashley. Appreciate it. Thank you. So from your perspective and your expertise, of course, what do we mean when we're talking about reverence in relationship to the Waldorf approach? Yeah, wow, reverence. Well, you know, for me, and I think for a lot of other teachers and parents, you know, within within Waldorf, I see that, you know, in the context of the Waldorf approach, reverence is a feeling, you know, that we consciously cultivate um, that you know, really touches the soul. And it's also like this mood, you know, within the soul that develops through a sense of wonder, which leads to, you know, feelings of gratitude and devotion. I really feel that, you know, this aspect of wonder, gratitude and devotion are just intricately connected to this um, experience of, of reverence, you know, that a teacher cultivates in the classroom or a parent wants to cultivate, you know, in their home. And I was just thinking, Ashley, that, you know, when we think of wonder, you know, it's an experience that leads to um, reverence. And it's one that makes me think of questions, you know, that children ask. And, you know, when children reach this, this age, let's say about, you know, two, two and a half, three, even, you know, they'll start to ask questions like, where does the rain come from? You know, what is snow? 
Um, you know, what's thunder? You know, children have so many questions, you know, which they'll just like openly ask us. And how I like to think of this, um, something that I read some time ago is that, you know, as Plato and Aristotle suggested, you know, like, could it be that children are philosophizing and not necessarily needing to, you know, needing an answer? Because it's quite natural for children to wonder and ask questions, you know, wonder about the world around them and to ask questions and not, not always they're looking for a definitive answer, but just to like be in that experience of wondering. And I think it's actually, you know, actually also a very worthy experience, you know, to wonder about the world and to wonder about the, the universe, because that also brings about like creative thoughts too. And, you know, wonder also is, you know, an experience that's very close to the heart too. And it's something then that this connects us, you know, on us to our souls, you know, like uh, um, as a soul experience. And so, yeah, you know, I think, you know, this part of wonder, which is so, like, like I mentioned, intricately connected to reverence really instills like a deeper sense of life's purpose. And, you know, in their own children, like in their own childlike, innocent way, you know, like I said, they'll like to ask questions about the world and they want to know the whys of life. And perhaps this is what leads them to asking, you know, why, why, why? And, you know, I'd like to, to suggest to parents, maybe when this happens, you can also find opportunities to sometimes just reply with, you know, I wonder, and then just be in that mood. And then, then thinking of gratitude, you know, when gratitude lives deeply in the body and is alive as a result of being, you know, enveloped by this mood of just thankfulness, um, I think then, you know, maybe we can perhaps begin to see gratitude as a virtue and not as a habit to be taught. Because in actuality, you know, we cannot train a child to be grateful. Not like we can train them, you know, social manners like thank you and please and 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 all of that, you know, like we can teach them the words, but this really deeper sense of gratitude that lives so, you know, much in the soul and as a mood. So yeah, I like to think of it like, you know, when a child just openly, innocently just says thank you, you know, without being asked, then I think that's when we can know as parents that, you know, these words, which are words of gratitude, are like really spoken from the heart. And then just thinking of devotion to like, you know, one way of learning to know something is to approach it first with, you know, full of like loving devotion. And when I think of loving devotion, or when I think of loving devotion, also you know, within the context of uh, the Waldorf approach, you know, there's this longing or this well, first of all, maybe I should say there's this attention, this really kind of uh, mindful, conscious, deep attention to an action, something that we're doing, whether that's folding laundry or washing dishes or setting the table. It's like caring, it's caring and nurturing out of a great desire to really bring something into its fullness and to really love what we're doing. So I think, you know, one way that we can experience devotion with our children is through, you know, the feelings that, we've, that we feel, you know, when we tend a garden with love and intention. And when we water the plants growing there because we've noticed, you know, this, the soil is dry. And then we have this desire that wells up within us to properly, you know, nourish the growing plants. You know, it's also like when we admire the blossoms and look at the bees, you know, buzzing in the gardens, which... I hope to see soon in my garden and, you know, going from flower to flower. You know, I think then, you know, that's one way of, of like cultivating these feelings of deep um, devotion, which is, you know, like that leads us right to like, you know, reverence. Um, it's reverence too. It's like cultivating or, or actually preparing the soil, like in a garden and, the soil, you know, like we want to nourish it so that everything that grows in the garden will flourish as a result of our care and our devotion. And so, yeah, and then this is also a way that, you know, a young child can learn to be a steward, you know, of the environment by using this, this 
example, you know, of the garden, you know, of how they can just experience that and learn to protect and care for the earth by what we show them, not by necessarily, you know, the words that we're, you know, that we're saying. So when we cultivate reverence, you know, in our daily life, then going back now again, you know, this is when that this sense of like wonder and gratitude and devotion, you know, all, you know, that all develops, uh, is cultivated. And it gives the child this feeling of like, my life is abundant, my life is full, my life is good, all is well. And so, you know, I think this is one way as parents that we can really honor each day. And, you know, by giving attention in this deep way to the activities that happen in the day. And so, so I think, you know, this supports the child in, in such a healthy way. And when we look at it, you know, from the perspective of our daily rhythm in our home, you know, we can see like where we can honor these reverent moments to support, you know, our child in experiencing, you know, feelings, a, a deeper sense of what it means to be fully alive and connected to the rhythms. So through, you know, our home rhythms, you know, this can be done like when we say a blessing together, you know, at the table before a family meal. This is such a reverent act to do. And children feel this deeply as, as much as, you know, we really bring our consciousness in to that. If, you know, by practicing mindfulness in our daily tasks, um, in, our, in our home, you know, that is also something that we can do to bring this aspect of reverence into you know, our home. I know like even in the classroom, I did this as a teacher with folding laundry, setting the table, washing the dishes. It's our, our intention that we bring and the mood that we bring that will then develop this deeper sense of reverence for the activity. And what it, like I mentioned, what it also does, you know, it really touches the child's heart and really reaches them, you know, on the soul level. So I think, you know, ways that we can include or ways that you can include your child, a parent can include their child to help with household tasks, you know, with their hands and they're having this action of doing and we're guiding them and showing them, you know, that helps them to develop this reverence for life and the things that we do need to take care of in life. Uh, some of the things maybe, you know, we really enjoy and other things that we might see as a chore, but that could be actually lifted through bringing this consciousness and, and mindfulness to it um, with maybe a poem. That's something we can also add, a song, or just even just quietness, you know, being in that kind of meditative kind of mood, observing nature, being in nature, of course. Nature just gives, I think, fills all of us with this feeling of um, gratitude and reverence. So caring for nature, and as I briefly touched on, you know, working in the garden, experiencing the seasons, and then also deep listening. So again, what I just touched on about different household tasks we can take care of, maybe just even in this quiet meditative way, it's like we're just listening deeply. And then, then too, you know, our it gives the space and time for our child to then have questions or just even just be in that deep listening space. I'm wondering if you can touch on ritual now and how this is kind of tied to reverence. You touched mm -hmm. on it a little bit and how we can bring these moments of reverence, which are also moments of ritual. Mm -hmm. um, but how would you kind of distinguish a little difference between the two and how ritual offers benefit? Uh, to the supporting the development of the young child? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good question. Well, as, you know, as a teacher in the classroom, when parents would come and then have questions, you know, about ritual, I often um, would answer it in this way, you know, a ritual is an act. It's something that we consciously, intentionally cultivate, you know, for our children to experience that's imbued with love and then with reverence too. Like, it's interesting, you know, how these are, I mean, they're just so intricately connected. And it's, it's also an, an action that sheds light on the sacred qualities of our lives. And 
so you know when i think of these like these sacred qualities these are the moments through ritual that where we can really kind of lift these qualities or these aspects or these times of uh, during the day in our lives where we can actually lift this experience through uh, ritual. And so, you know, I think, you know, rituals are also incorporated, like I mentioned, by, by saying lifting to bring this levity and joy to daily life by, you know, honoring that moment, which could be either, you know, a transition or a moment of gratitude or like, you know, lifting this moment of um, or embracing and holding this moment of maybe more like holding this moment, a moment of reverence. And so I'll give you, uh, I'll give an example. Maybe, you know, that's the best way to, to kind of talk about it. So with my children at home and also as a teacher in the classroom, when we would come to the table and sit down, the ritual then prior to eating was to say a blessing or a prayer verse. First, we would light the candle. And then this was done also like with a verse, uh, sometimes with a song. And then that signified, you know, to the children, not that they're thinking ritual, but that signified to them, oh, you know, this is the moment before the food is served. This is the moment of giving thanks. This is the moment of being grateful for what's on the table. And this is something that, you know, that they gain an experience through the repetitive experiences. So after the candles lit and then the, the blessing is, is said and then we eat. But that's like the beginning of the ritual. And so as I often would say to parents, you know, it's the ritual needs to be held by the adult. And this is something that supports the young child is the adult creates and holds the ritual because we can't place that. We really shouldn't place that in a young child's hands. Like, what do you want to do? How do you want to do it? Okay, you start it or you do it. The parent really holds that especially when we're consciously cultivating a mood around that ritual. You know, young children look to us to really guide them and lead that. And then how this supports them is that they in turn learn from us over years of experiencing this. It's not just like weeks or months, but over years of really experiencing this, we are we are showing them a way to honor what we eat, to be grateful, you know, to the farmers that are growing the food and to acknowledge also, you know, this food has been grown in the earth and the earth, you know, supports us. Not that we necessarily talk about all of this, but it becomes clear to the children, you know, over time. And so then, the ritual then around that, let's say being at the table, whether it was snack time or lunch time or even dinner time, then starting, you know, like I mentioned with the candle and the blessing. And then in the middle, there sometimes, you know, what I, not sometimes, but what I would do as part of that ritual is there would be maybe, um, as the children are kind of winding down, maybe like a, a little fun poem or song. So one I used to do was uh, out the tall white candlestick went little Tommy Brown. And when he reached the very top, he could not get back down. So he called grandma, grandma, but grandma had gone to town. So he made himself into a ball and rolled himself back down. So then that would signify to the children that the ritual was coming to an end. And then at the end was extinguishing the candle and saying, thank you, you know, for the food that we had eaten. And how we support children with rituals like that with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Because they can't tell time, this is like the time sequence for them. And that is what held how I was able to hold 14, sometimes 16 two to four-year-olds at a table all together in such a beautiful way. And to hold my children also, you know, at the table, I had three, but 
one experiences it differently when you have 14 to 16 children. And so if we use rituals in this way as part of our daily rhythm, it supports children because then it's, they have a sense, an even stronger sense. You know, we know that rhythm gives them the security and the sense of what's coming next. But when we incorporate rituals and they have a clear beginning, middle and end, that supports the child even more. And then they don't have to like wonder how long will this go on? They all had a sense, you know, using the example of the table of just how long it was going to go. And so, yeah, so I thought maybe that example, one example, I mean, I could give lots of examples that I thought maybe that one example could be helpful. That was very helpful, created a lovely image for me, certainly. Mm -hmm. And everything that you've described and articulated, you can sense and feel how these words and the way that uh, reverence and ritual are worked through the Waldorf approach uh, don't have something to do, they have nothing to do with uh, like a religious thing. And I think that's also kind of important to distinguish, right? And also, interestingly, I mean, if you are someone, uh, I have friends now that are Catholic and Muslim, and I've also seen how beautifully they use these components kind of from the Waldorf lens to then uh, work within the traditions in their own home too, which I find so beautiful and interesting um, and different than the way that I approach reverence and ritual in my home. So I think, I don't know if you could speak to that a little bit too, how it can really be worked for different families in different ways too. Mm, the, this, the aspect of reverence and ritual. Yeah. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned, you know, that the Waldorf approach to ritual and isn't from a, a religious perspective. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think, you know, there were a number of parents, you know, who would come and to the school, to my classroom, and I'd meet with them. And when they would hear the word ritual, then it kind of would, you know, take them to a kind of religious ceremony, so to speak, you know, that we were, that was happening. But so, yeah, I'm really glad that you mentioned that because it's really, you know, this aspect of ritual within the Waldorf approach is to really lift and help to guide, you know, your child you know, through through the day. And a ritual can happen at, you know, so many points in the day. And so, for example, you know, transitions are which are so tricky can be, you know, will often tend to be, those are the moments where children, young children break down is when there's a transition. And so what supports children through uh, transitions, and this is definitely something that, you know, we see in the Waldorf approach in early childhood classrooms, you know, how this, you know, the rituals are, are used in transitions. So for example, you know, after playtime, um, when it's time to then clean up, you know, that can often tend to be a really big transition for a little one. And, but, you know, when it's held in this way where, again, you know, within ritual, there's this beginning, middle, and an end, that really supports the children. And then, you know, through this repetition of it, it this is the way it happens, you know, again and again and again so in my classroom with my with the children the in the transition let's say playtime i I almost have to be like a little bit specific you know with with uh, an example um we would first begin to like you know tidy up the toys that was always an indication i would just kind of slowly go around when it was close to that time and then as the children were with me, you know, weeks or months, and then they would say, oh, Chinyulu, is it almost, playtime's almost ended? And uh, are we going to start cleaning up? And I said, oh, just tidying a little bit in a few minutes. And then in that way, you know, we didn't have like these big overreactions, you know. They just knew, okay, it was time. And then after tidying things up, we'd cover up the toys with these rainbow silks, put them to bed and say good night good night we'll see you tomorrow have a good sleep good night 
And then that would really signify to them, you know, we've put all the toys to bed. And then they were ready to move to circle time. And then that was done with a song to lead them, you know, to our rug, where then we would have circle time. And so, you know, I think, you know, if this happens in the world of classrooms, and I think, you know, that was, if we can incorporate that into our home lives, it's initially, it feels like a lot. Like I have a lot of thinking to do here. I've got a lot of planning. I feel like I, I have a lot, you know, that I would need to learn to guide my child in this way. And perhaps initially it is, but we could always take one ritual at a time and work with that. And then it just becomes just the way you do it. And it becomes the way that the children expect it, love it, fall into it. If I could say, you know, they just, it, it's just nourishment for them to have those kinds of um, experiences. And then the more we do it, the easier it gets. And it's much easier to work in this way than to, you know, command to say, get your shoes on because now we have to leave or clean up your toys. Um, otherwise you're not going to be able to play with them later or, or whatever the consequence might be. You know, I think when we go from command to consequence, command to consequence, you know, that's what's exhausting for, you know, us as parents to, to kind of be in that mode. But when we're working with a ritual that we create, cultivate, you know, repeat again and again and again, even as we're learning it in the beginning, it just softens our interactions with our children each day. So another little example I could give when it was going outside, it was also a big transition, getting dressed to go outside or just even transitioning from inside to outside. And for some children, you know, that was really hard. But then if we can bring it like in this imaginative way, you know, through the ritual, so the children would come into the coat room, I would sing a little song, you know, about getting our slippers off. And then if it was like a wet, rainy day, children, the children, they really loved this aspect of, you know, talking about the train station and the conductor. So when we got into the, the coat room, it was like we were in the train station. And I said, the conductor's on the platform and he's saying, all aboard, all aboard. So we've got to get ready, get those pants on. Let's be ready before those train doors, you know, begin to close. We want to catch that train. And in that way, it just led from pants to jacket to boots to hat, you know, whatever was needed for the day. And then I'd open the door and say, there you go, you made it, all aboard. And then they would go out saying, all aboard, choo-choo. And so, you know, that was the ritual for getting ready. And, so and it supports the rhythm too. It supports the rhythm completely. Yeah, it supports the rhythm. Yes, it does. So I could go on with lots of examples, but I thought maybe those would would be helpful to hear. Most definitely. I think people love the examples because they get to see and kind of experience in their listening to mm -hmm. how it lives and breathes in life, which is so helpful. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we really could go on forever because right. these two aspects really just cross over with all the other kind of components um, or they intersect with all the other components that we're talking about the season and so many other components of the Waldorf approach, like rhythm, like we mentioned. So mm -hmm. there could be so much more. I will, of course, mention uh, your podcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and blog and that you have parent coaching um, and much more at your website, which is theweenurturecollective.com, right? It is. Thank you. Yes. Yes. And I will also link to that on the show notes page for this episode as well. So everybody can can find you there and you're on Instagram quite mm -hmm. a bit and share so many helpful, wonderful things. And on Instagram, are you we underscore nurture? Yes. We <gasps> underscore nurture. Yes, that's right. Great. Is there anything else that you'd like to share, Chinilu? 
Well, one last thing I could mention, and I, I, I think I may have skipped over this when just reflecting back a bit on ritual, just thinking back on reverence too. So just to say, you know, reverence doesn't have to be looked at as like this mood of just low, you know, like, oh, now I have to be ever so quiet and ever so inward. You know, I, if parents can just kind of look at this aspect from the water approach of reverence, of just really honoring a moment. And it can be very joyful, you know, just as a, the example I gave of in the coat room, getting ready to go outside. But it's reverent. It's not silly. It's reverent and really honoring that. Yeah. So I just wanted to mention that. Yes, of course. Well, thank you so much again for coming on the show to speak with me and share your wisdom again, Chinyulu. Yes, thank you for having me again, Ashley. Again, a super special thanks to Chinyulu for speaking with me for this episode. So how do I use these concepts or utilize these concepts, ritual and reverence in my home with my young children? Well, uh, the first way that I began to bring this is around uh, eating. Really, even before I fully went like all Waldorfy over here, um, I found my older son, who's now almost four, he just never would sit. He was not a sitter. He wanted to eat standing. Um, and I really wanted to create a safe space that was uh, reverent, but also healthy just to sit and have nutrition, and, you know, have our food together sitting was really important uh, for both my, uh, my partner Tobin and I to create in our home for him. So I began uh, bringing reverence in with the ritual of just saying a blessing around mealtime. And the blessing I will share with you is one of my favorites because I just feel it fits really well for our family and maybe it will for, for yours. Who knows? So we say, earth who gives to us this food, sun who makes it ripe and good, dearest earth and dearest sun will not forget what you have done. Blessings on the meal. And it just is everything. Every time we say it, it just really makes me reflect on all of the things that came together to bring um, our nourishing food to us. Uh, and I also think of the farmers often as well that were part of that work. And how much uh, respect, reverence I have for for them and their work, and I think there's also been studies done. I can't; none are coming to mind on when you sit and when you uh, treat the food that you are ingesting with a kind of respect, um, and you know go at a pace that's uh, a little more slow than many of us are used to in Western culture, that that is better for our digestion when we're sitting, when we're taking the time to really eat at a pace that our bodies like. Uh, it's better for us. We are going to do better with the nutrition that we're ingesting. And I certainly find that for myself because um, I have on and off been in situations where I'm working during times that I need to also be eating and it doesn't feel good. And I'm sure many of you can, uh, you know, feel that and agree with that as well. So the first thing, as I mentioned, uh, the way that I began to bring in reverence was the ritual of saying a blessing around mealtime. The other way that um, I started to bring reverence in, and I start I started to see a lot of the concepts of wonder and awe really come in through these rituals as well. The other thing I began doing was a real uh, real ritual around the bedtime routine. Uh, so as my son got out of kind of just like the nursing was the main <laughs> like pre-bedtime activity, we started reading uh, a book to him pretty early. Uh, and as he was just around one, something super, super, super simple, either just pictures or um, just a few words. Uh, my littler son right now is 11 months old as I'm recording this episode, and his favorite bedtime book is, it's a Sandra Boynton book, where is it? It's uh, Not the Hippopotamus, I think, and the word hippopotamus he just loves, and he just is kind of, it's only like four or five pages, it's super quick, um, sometimes he's laughing, it's one of the first books he's really enjoyed, like the process of, of reading, so he, uh, I 
I read that book to him as part of his bedtime routine. Um, and it just is a moment even for my two very active little ones where there's a little stillness that's coming before before bedtime. Uh, I also have when uh, we're at home in New Hampshire, which we're not right now, uh, we do a bath every night before bedtime. Um, and especially actually now that we're in uh, Key West, Florida, because it's actually a city here. So we get in the sunscreen every day. Uh, the, we're all really dirty, <laughs> some beach and everything. So we take a bath at the end of every day and putting just a couple of, I started doing this in New Hampshire and I have done it less now. I should bring it back. Putting a couple of drops of lavender and um, saying just a few words that are special along with that. Um, and bedtime has been a the bedtime routine has been quite a rush actually for us as of late because my older son has to see daddy's show. My husband is a juggling acrobatic comedy performer here. He performs outside, and my almost four year old lives for seeing his show in the evening. So our dinner and bedtime ritual and routine are a little bit rushed right now. But at home, I would say sometimes a little sweetness for your bath, a little sweetness for your bath, even just those few little words and just putting the oil in the tub. Um, and he loves the smell of it. Um, when he would take a hot shower by himself, sometimes, especially at home in New Hampshire, when my other little one just like they're the little babies, like they just don't need baths that often. Right. So, uh, when my son was three and a half, I'd actually put like a couple drops in the hot shower. If he just went in to take uh, a shower, I did that as well. Um, and then the other thing I really want to do, but I haven't yet because son I do a bedtime routine with the two of them because my husband works over dinner and bedtime so it's just me I really want to light a candle um, it's candles are my favorite thing we light a candle every time we eat uh, we light a candle that's also a ritual that's brought a lot of reverence to uh, the meal time um, but again a candle around uh, bedtime I would just love so much and, and ending the bedtime with a candle going out and that doesn't have to be like the candles the only light in the room. It's just part of the routine that creates a little warmth. Again, we've talked about that this season as well. And ritual that brings just a reverence and a specialness to the activity of preparing to go to bed. And a slowness too, because you can't go crazy and bonkers with a candle around. It's not safe, which is why I have not brought a candle into my bedtime routine with my two young children, because I have an almost one-year-old and an almost four-year-old, and it's just too much in the size space that we have. Um, but I'm really looking forward to being able to bring that in. I know uh, Megan Rose Wilson, who I've had on the show, I think she talked about this in the episode. Yes, she did. Uh, about warmth this season, how part of her uh, bedtime routine has included uh, making hot water bottles. Uh, she has, I think, an electric tea kettle on her second floor. So she makes a hot water bottle and then it goes in each child's bed as they're preparing for, for bedtime. Um, and then the bed is warm for them, which I love. Uh, so yeah. And then for us, I then do another book a little longer with my older son after my littler one goes into his bed and then I we do a story um, every night and that's kind of how we send off the day together and the whole routine really is kind of intersecting with ritual that creates reverence and now are you seeing how all of these concepts are just intersecting all the time warmth reverence ritual um, they're all coming together to create a specialness a special space for the young child that is holding them special in a special way at the developmental phase that they are at um, it's really something else i'll just go into one other example a way that i uh, have worked with uh, reverence um, i think just just to mention anytime uh you are doing something in your home and you it, you want to create specialness around it a reverence using a verse to do that um, is a great way to communicate to the young people in the home that this is something special if you have an 8 10 or 13 year old this is maybe not going to work or it's going to look really different. Um, you know, if you're saying, I ha thinking of a couple of verses um, that I've read for folding laundry, um, and I will share my favorite verse resources on the show notes page for this episode. Um, and some of those resources are books. Some of the language um, does use words like God or possibly Lord. Um, I I'm still going to share them, even though the language may not be the absolute most inclusive, um, because I think the language can be changed, and I do think they're still valuable resources. So I'm thinking of doing uh, laundry, folding laundry. My older son would generally 
go bananas. I use this word with the most loving, gentle respect all around it because um, it's something that takes focus and organization. You know, you line up the clothes and generally he often would want to just like throw them all over the place after I folded them. Also because this is, he's almost four and it's a boundary that kind of can be tested. How do I act if he, you know, wrecks all the work that I've done? So uh, bringing a verse, um, and now in the space that we're in, I'm actually, the time of day that I fold laundry, he's out with my husband. So I haven't said it in a little while, so it's not coming to mind. But saying a verse around starting to fold laundry and engaging with him and giving him, now I actually ask him to fold socks, or I, I had when we were doing the laundry together, um, or at least matching them together. He, um, gained, he gained a sibling. He has a brother now. And I was saying, oh, each sock, each sock has a brother. There are two, and they look quite alike which two and, uh, you know, which two go together. Um, and there may, may be many brothers and sisters that all look alike, but then there will be two that want to snuggle when they go in the drawer together. Um, so I will tell like a little story around the socks to keep him in engaged in a way um, that just makes the activity meaningful, brings a little reverence in. As I mentioned, an older child is not going to be engaged in that way. Um, but I think that there are ways I always, <laughs> my go-to honestly is like lighting a candle <laughs> um, and just lighting a candle around an activity I think always brings a warmth and be um, reverence, ritual, specialness to the activity. So that could be something you could work in with an older child. Also having um, an openness uh, to speaking about a particular topic of interest to the young person if that child is a little bit older during the activity or at a specific time um, of day, maybe it's transition or being in the car could create specialness. And I think even a little reverence in a relationship between parent and child as well that could be quite nice. So the example, the one last example I wanted to bring in about ritual. Um, and ritual, I think we always engage with that in our minds as more of a daily um, activity. But uh, when you have different holidays that are celebrated throughout, celebrations that are celebrated throughout the year, there will also be rituals around those. Um, for us, we have a lot of rituals around birthday celebrations. Um, both of my children have their birthday in the same week. So it's a really intense week of rituals and specialness for that child. Um, and then our other uh, celebrations have different rituals, either that have been handed down to us or that we've created as well. But in the summertime, we are, um, well, all year, all year, we are members of the Temple Wilton Community Farm, which is, I have to say, like the best, most special, amazing community CSA. It's the best. And we get these points in the year to go help the farmers in the field, whether it's weeding or um, the big one we like to take the kids to is harvesting potatoes, harvesting carrots. Um, and we will say like a little verse as we're walking into the field, which is always fun. And then um, just the way that we focus all together. Um, and I'm saying this as an example because you almost need to do nothing around creating ritual some of the time. And just even like the activity of us together going into the field and the focus and concentration that um, mom and dad are really putting into this encourages the child to kind of participate, but also I think have wonder at what is going on. Um, we are helping, we're participating in the process of, and for some families, maybe this is just gardening. Um, creating either beautiful flowers or beautiful food that uh, is going to go into nourishing us and our community. So I think just the child observing sometimes and not engaging at all can be really meaningful. And I think our children uh, observing us being part of the farming process has been really, really lovely for us. Um, and we never bring our children into the field like, okay, you got to go out here and work. It's always like, this is what we're doing now. Um, and I know I'm having memories when my older one was like 18 months old. He just ate a bunch of dirt <laughs> or carrots out of the field. And, you know, everybody enjoyed having him out there. Um, and now he goes out and really like, whether it's picking berries or harvesting potatoes, he'll like bring all the potatoes, the pile of potatoes I just worked onto the box or the pile of carrots. Um, and now I'm still wearing my other little one if I'm in the field on my back. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's really fun. It's really lovely. And I just have observed that that's a nice activity where I've had to do so little to create that ritual. And I think there's this reverence that's being brought into the food that we eat, into the the meaning that we're participating in this activity that's really lovely. And I think there are other areas of my life, and I'm sure yours as well, that really 
wouldn't take too much effort to create ritual that will create respect, reverence, awe, beauty, wonder, all of these things that create meaning for us in our relationship with our children, but really for our children and their relationship with the world around them. Um, And I think that's ultimately what this is about, what reverence and ritual is kind of all about, or it certainly is what it created for me as a young child. And I'm hoping to cultivate for my young children as well. Thank you all so much for listening in as we're coming to the end of this episode. Again, a big thanks to all of our generous Waldorfie Patreon supporters. Learn more and sign up to become a supporter at patreon.com. A huge thanks to Sparkle Stories, our Waldorfie Season 7 podcast partner. To get access to an extended 30-day free trial of Sparkle Stories, just use the coupon code Waldorfie at checkout. Just visit sparklestories.com forward slash Waldorfie, where you'll also be able to find the playlist of stories for young children that accompany each episode in this seventh season. I can't thank all of you enough just for listening in. Writing a positive review is also a really great way to support the show. Uh, You can do this usually wherever you listen to your podcast. Apple Podcasts is a great place to do this. You can also follow Waldorfie on social media at bwaldorfie. That's B-E Waldorfie, where I've also been sharing uh, more of kind of like the visual of um, what I've been talking about in each episode of how we approach these topics with our young children in our home. And I know like, the algorithm for social media has changed or something. And like, unless you're paying for posts, like no one sees them. So if you want to see those, you actually have to probably go to my profile there um, on Instagram where I share a lot of this stuff um, to see and engage. Um, Cause I just do not, I'm like my willingness to participate with social media is like so low. Um, it's not healthy for all of us people. Um, so I think it the best way or the way I like to engage with it is just have the people that I like um, make me feel inspired and good to connect with and just kind of go there and, and follow them because the whole business of social media is a little yuck to me, I have to say. So I am active on social media, the most active on Instagram, and I love the interaction that I get to have uh, with all of you over there. Oh, I'm hearing the most beautiful mockingbird out my window right now. So yes, I'm B Walderfee. It's on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Definitely the most active on Instagram. And just thank you all again so, so much for listening in. Be well. Be well.